Hi, I'm Montana York, and I'm your host here at Cambridge House. I am joined today by the one and only Don Durrett of goldstockdata.com. Don, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me, Montana. First time. Anytime. Uh, Don, you've written an entire book on how to invest in mining companies. Give us the inside scoop. Um, so I actually started investing in gold miners uh, in 1991. So I've been a gold bug for a long time. But I, was, I wasn't doing individual stocks. I was doing uh, mutual funds. Um, you know, I was a total newbie, right? <laughs> so I didn't know what the heck I was doing. So I was doing mutual funds. And then 2004, um, I was running with a friend and I told him he should buy some gold mine stocks. And he told me that he was much more interested in silver. And I had not even looked at silver in 2004. So... Um, 2004, the only there were no gold silver mutual funds it didn't exist. There was no silver ETF, so I had to buy individual silver stocks, and they were basically all juniors. You know, <laughs> so so I had to learn how to invest in juniors. So I tried to find some books, and I couldn't find anything on junior mining. So I had to learn on my own, and so. Over the six years, I learned how to invest in mining stocks. And since I'm a writer, um, I've written about 15 books. So it was, I was, it was like a kind of a no-brainer for me to write a, a book on how to invest in, in, in gold and silver. And it's a focus on mining stocks. It's really a textbook. It's really helpful for people that are early, you know, kind of newbies to learn how to do this. Uh, especially junior miners, but I do all of them, you know, majors, mid-tiers. But that's how the book got written is because it didn't exist. <laughs> and to this day, I don't know of anything that's even comparable to my book. It's helped a lot of people. Mm -hmm. A lot of good reviews on Amazon. Um, it's about 300 pages long. I said it's about, about a textbook. So, yeah, anybody that's kind of new to this, it's not kind of a, an expert. If you're not an expert, you should really read my book. You're going to learn something. Great. Thank you, Don. And um, Don, we spoke a little bit offline about your process in selecting stocks. Um, did you want to touch on that a bit as well? Yeah. So um, when I got into this, I felt that, and it's interesting because it's all coming full circle now, because I was basically a critic of the Fed, you know, when Greenspan was in there. I mean, I always thought that debt was dangerous, that you just can't get away with it. And so it's always, you're always pushing the problem to the next generation. And you're creating a very kind of a house of cards scenario by just adding debt, adding debt, printing, printing, printing. So it really, it was, it was Reagan in the 80s that really uh, got me going with the, you know, this idea of having these large deficits and having no, uh, you know, impact. And now we're starting to see it. And, and the debt, you know, my concerns have gotten, you know, amplified over the years. And now it's hyper amplified, you know, with 30, $30 trillion in debt, annual $1 trillion uh, deficits. And, you know, we'll, we'll talk more about this. Yeah, so, so many other questions. Um, but so my philosophy going into this was to go for outsized returns. I wrote in my book in the, in the intro that I was looking for 500% returns. That's what I was looking for. Now, I have come down to 300% for quality producers, but I'm, I'm, I'm really looking for, you know, a company that has five, five bagger potential. But I focus 
on the future gold and silver price. I always have. So for me, I'm looking for outsized returns. The only way I'm going to get that is gold and silver go higher. But my philosophy belief is that we are going to see it. So you just have to be patient. So I'm a long-term investor. And that's what I show in my book. But I show you how to analyze risk and understand risk. It's, I mean, you're basically gambling. When you buy gold and silver mining stocks, you're basically gambling because there's so much risk involved. It's not just the gold and silver price. I mean, look at these companies lately and that are having trouble and they look like slam dunks, like pure gold. Went all the way up to a billion dollar market cap before they got to first pour. Now it's it's under 200 million. I think it may be under 100 million now. I mean, it's been a train wreck, basically. I mean, then you had another one that tried to do a ramp up Arcana. I mean, these these stocks look pretty solid. Companies and people have gotten really hit. And these are supposed to be, you know, so it doesn't really matter um, what gold and silver miner. I mean, you don't know what's going to happen. It's basically gambling from my perspective. So if I'm going to be, you can use the word speculation as well, instead of gambling, it's just kind of the same thing. Um, but you have to recognize your risk. You have to recognize your personal, um, how risk averse you are. Some people are not as risk averse as me. Um, and so you have to understand that. And I talk about that in my book, all the different, each different category, the majors, midterms, juniors, and I break juniors into like five categories because juniors have so much high risk. And so you need to understand uh, the different levels of risk of each category. So, but, but now, um, yeah, I've been doing this for a long time. So my website came out in 2012. So, um, you know, almost 10 years now, I've been following this very, very closely. And now, and so I've had to be very patient. So now we're just about there. And so now I think my philosophy is going to pay off focusing on the future, focusing on future gold prices. And based off this philosophy, Don, uh, what stocks are catching your eyes right now? If you feel comfortable plugging some specific companies. Uh, sure. Um, I will give you a few uh, kind of skeptic speculation stocks. But where I tell people to focus is, is yes, you're looking for outsized returns, but you also have to manage risk. Mm -hmm. So I like people to have, you know, physical as kind of a base. And then kind of some majors as a base to kind of just don't go all in juniors. And then for me, the heart of my portfolio is mid-tiers. And you can't, you're never going to know. So there's about 30 quality mid-tiers out there. So you can basically create your own GDXJ or you can't create your own, you, SILJ is kind of tough, but you're going to have to buy a lot of stocks if you try to create a gold and silver ETF. But if you're not going to invest, say, more than $100,000, you can just stick with ETFs, the GDXJ and SILJ, and kind of limit your risk. But if you want to, um, you don't want to do the ETFs, you don't want to give them that half percent a year, <laughs> um, you can create your own. So in the mid-tiers, you can't really pick the winners. I mean, if you're going to pick 10 mid-tiers, um, the difference between picking 5, 10, 20, 25 you don't know which of those five are really going to be do the best. It's really difficult to pick winners. Now pick the best three mid tiers. So instead, what you want to do is say, okay, I'm going to buy mid tiers. Then you have to start 
understanding how you pick them. And if you do, the, it takes about two years to kind of, you can't do this overnight, of course. That's why you start with the SILJs and the GDXJs. But once you have about, you know, a year into this, two years is better. Then you can start understanding how to identify which mid-tiers to buy. For me, the key is, you know, the, we don't want to have a bad balance sheet. You want to look for that. You want to make sure they're currently generating free cash flow. Ideally, you want them to generate like at least 80 million, 100 million plus is kind of good for a mid-tier. So if a company's generating, you know, 80 million plus, um, you know, they're all in cost or like $1,400 or less. And, you know, it, they don't have a short, you know, mine lives are important. You know, they're having a big mine that's going to go offline. Of course, they all have long lives. They have a good, the management team has a pretty decent record. Then the location of the mine is really important. Um, and then you want, then the next one that's really important is the value, the valuation. A lot of people, I get Twitter all the time. I'm on Twitter. Uh, it's Don Durette. You want to find me on Twitter. Um, and what, I get a lot of people that are like these mid tiers that are pricey. And I mean, it's like some of these mid tiers are, you know, is, is the equivalent of buying a major. You know, you're really not going to get, you know, if you're not going to get a three bagger, if gold goes to 2,500, which isn't that big of a stretch, and you're not going to get a three-bagger out of it, it's like, why are you buying that, right? So that's where you're competing against GDXJ. So that's where I, you know, I come in and I kind of compare, you know, where they're at right now and then where they're going to be in the future. And if there's going to be at least a three-bagger upside that I'm interested. There's a lot of mid-tiers out there that are very pricey. I'm not really interested in those. And so I'm looking for the ones that have more kind of bang for the buck. Oh, I was going to give you three names. So now, okay, so for the mid tiers, yeah, I can't really give you you know any names there because you're you're going to kind of know which ones you you know you're going to buy 10, 20, 25 mid tiers. You're going to know the good ones right off the bat, right? Okay, so the speculating stocks, the ones you want to kind of gamble on. Right now, um, there's a drill story down in Guyana that just getting some legs. It's really interesting. It's called G two Goldfields. It I think. It, potentially is one of the most significant discoveries um, of recent years. I mean, really high grade white, white intercepts. It's pretty, pretty exciting. So take a look at that one. I, I don't own it. Uh, I basically own too many juniors. I'm trying not to add to them. <laughs> but if I was early, I would definitely be buying that one. Another one I don't own that is it's, it's really starting to run a little bit here. It's went from 10 million to 30 million. That's uh Big Ridge Gold in Canada. So the other one, uh, GT Goldfields is in Guyana and Big Ridge is in Big Ridge Gold's in Canada. That one's early. It went, it jumped from 10 to 30. And I think that one could easily, you know, go to 100 if they if they keep hitting drill holes. Now, the one thing about dr drill stories, you know, a lot of people like I'm a long-term investor. A lot of people like to, you know, have a hundred percent return in one year. You know, they're like chasing the momentum. Mm -hmm. So these drill stories, you know, you can get that 50, 100 percent return in a year. And the key here is you want to make sure that they have a, a solid discovery hole. And I have a YouTube video that explains how to identify discovery holes. You want a really solid discovery hole, and then you want a follow-up hole. And you want that follow-up hole to be, you know, 20, 100 meters away. And that that basically is showing you they found something. You know, one, one, uh, one hole is usually not enough for me. I mean, you could, you get in real early. And that's kind of what happening here with both of um, G2 and, and Big Ridge is they've had a discovery hole and then a follow-up hole. 
And, and that's why they're both running right now. And, and now what you're doing is you're just following the, what I call drilling it out. So let's say you start with a discovery, then it takes you one, two, three years to drill it out, depending on how big it is. And that's where you're basically just making money, right? Because all it's doing is going up, 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 up. And those are, that's a good way to invest for some people. It's your personality type. You know, you like those, you know, quickies returns and, you know, um, producers. I mean, a lot of times on producers, all you're doing is waiting for the gold price to go up. Whereas an exploration story, you're just waiting for more, for better drill holes, right? So it, drill stories can work in any environment. You know, that's why a lot of people prefer them. You know, Eric Sprott, that's what he prefers. If you look at the percentage of stocks he owns, um, I would say 70% plus are drill stories. Who's the third? Oh, the third stock. Um, the third one would be Labrador Gold. They're another one that fits my early. Uh, I they're they're about a hundred million, one hundred and ten million. They're not super early, but I think that Labrador's drill results have been. They've had the discovery hole. They've had the follow up holes. They're drilling it out. They're finding new stuff. It's a big property. It's a Newfoundland. I think it's going higher. So that that one that one's exciting to me as well. Great. Thank you so much, Don. Um, and then based off of your theories, what are your gold and silver predictions uh, for 2022? Um, I, on Twitter, I was, a lot of people tagged me as the most bearish gold bull because I'm very realistic on my macroeconomic analysis. And last year, when gold did not break out in January, I turned bearish. And I basically said that gold, gold stuck. That's what I said. It's stuck. And it's not going anywhere until the risk on trade ends. And the risk on trade was basically the stock market. So people were buying stocks and, it, and the stock market was up 20, about 23% last year on average. Um, it was up big, right? And so people were just buying stocks last year. Nobody's buying gold and silver. So I just kept you know, every time. So what we had, we had a lot of corrects. We had a lot of moves, you know, and I call it the rinse and repeat. You know, gold will start running and, and people will say the charts. They say, it's breaking out, it's breaking out. I'm going, no, it's not. The, don't, the, the charts are meaningless. You just have, you have to focus on what's happening on Wall Street. So people would call me bearish, 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 most bearish bull, you know. All right, here's Don again, telling us it's not going up, not going up. I, I said it all year, you know. Well, two things changed. The first one was inflation. Mm -hmm. So inflation basically kicked into gear in, in Q4. But I didn't turn bullish yet. I, I, I mean, because the risk on trade was still going. And I basically, you know, we had to wait. You know, I was basically keeping my eye on the risk on trade, waiting for it to basically die. Because that's the only way you're, that you're going to get a breakout above 2000 on gold. And then the second thing hit. So inflation really took off in January, Q4. And then January, we just started seeing, you know, I think we got over 5%. And then in March, we got over 7%. Um, then the second event was, I call it the black swan. And this is just huge. And Wall Street hasn't figured this out yet. It, it, I mean, the, the Dow's only, I mean, the S&P's only down 5% right now. Some people, I and mean, Kramer last Friday said the bear market's over in the market. No, no, no. The bear market's not over. The risk on trade is what's over. So the, the black market was Ukraine. Ukraine was the black swan. And now I'm turned, now I'm bullish. Now I think that 
we're running, we're off and running. So we've had an 18 month, I think now somebody said 20 month correction, depending on where you, where you count it from in gold and silver. Now, silver, you can make an argument that gold has broken out and its bull market has resumed, but you know, we went over 1950 for two weeks and that was the number I was looking at for a breakout. But I would submit that it hasn't really started yet, the, the resumption of the bull market, because I want silver to confirm. Silver's under $25 right now. So I really want to see silver. I think once silver gets gets over 27, I think at that point, I think it's probably going to be off to the races here and the bull market resumes. Um, now, I people don't realize. Now, one thing about gold and silver is that it's very difficult. It's like the Brunking Brunking Bronco. It's really difficult to stick stay on because you have these huge runs. I mean, silver up to, up to thirty, back to twenty two, up to thirty, back to twenty two. I mean, huge huge moves. Yesterday we had uh, the HUI drop from three twenty five to three ten. I mean, that's some serious movement there. GXJ was down three and a half percent. I mean, people people can't handle that kind of volatility on a single day. So, I mean, it's a it's a chunk of money or you know paper losses and and so that's one of the reasons why nobody's in this space is because just it just doesn't fit people's personality people want consistent results they don't you know people generally are not speculators gold and silver is about speculating so it's it's a tiny crowd that's that really is interested the gold bulls and the silver bulls so basically, I was prefacing what I'm about to say. <laughs> so what I'm about to say is, um, what's if this bull market in precious metals um, runs for a year? <laughs> I think it's going to probably run for two to three. But it just runs for one year. You're going to see the ret unbelievable returns in the in the miners. Uh, kind of, you know, they, some people use a. The analogy of ripping your face off. I mean, <laughs> that's kind of what we're going to see here. Uh, we're going to see, you know, Newmont double in price. Um, and if new, you know, in a, in a year or less, and if Newmont's doubling, you know, most of the majors are doubling. So what does that mean for all the others, right? Mm -hmm. Pretty stunning stuff that if, if this, if this is it, this is the bull market breakout. And I think it is. So I think when we get to June, I think then we'll be able to see exactly where we're at economically. So today, the Fed said that they are going to do QT. And everybody said, no way will they do QT. They can't, you know, and I've been saying that you can't do QE and, and raise rates at the same time. That won't work. And they basically acknowledge that. They may say, look, we're raising rates. If we're going to raise rates, we have to do QT. But even though they said they're going to do it, I don't know how they can, because I think that there's going to be a lot of people selling 30-year and 10-year bonds. Now, a lot of people think I'm wrong on this, but I think a lot of countries and investors are going to sell those bonds, and the Fed has to buy them. And if the Fed has to buy them, then they can't do QT. And so they said they're going to reduce the rate by $35 billion a month starting in May, I think, next month. We'll see. I don't think they can do QT. And I think inflation is going to rage all year. And so once we get to June, 
Um, I think we're going to have a better idea of the of the how much damage inflation, COVID, and Ukraine. I, I just came out with my newsletter. I talked about the big three, the big three things that are going to push gold higher and hurt the economy. And you know, th- th- those big three, you know, are inflation, um, you know, the Ukraine, and the economy. They're all basically kind of south right now, and it's like. Oh, the, the, actually, the, the third one I said was COVID. So COVID, the damage to the econ- economy from COVID, but it's kind of COVID slash economy because COVID has put a lot of businesses um, out of business or slowed them down. You know, so they talk about, you know, the, the employment is employment is really strong and everybody can get a job. I'm not buying that. I think that COVID has done a lot of damage to the economy. I don't think the economy just suddenly gets back on its feet. Um, you know, we have these supply chain, s- supply channel issues. I think those are related to COVID. I think those have da- those are damaged to the economy. And then, of course, inflation. And so you have these huge, huge factors, I think, that are going to create a recession so I'm expecting a recession this year. Everybody's saying recession is not this year. It's going to be 2023. But I think when we get to June, I think we might be in one. Um, so that's what I'm looking for. So what I'm, and again, I, I talked about how the risk on trade was stopping gold from going higher and that the risk on trade is currently basically, I think is dead. And so I think we're in a period right now where people don't want to go risk off, but they're going to have to. And the risk off move is going to be into gold is going to attract that gold, that risk off money. And so I think once gold gets over 2000, I don't think it's coming back down. My expectation is we get over 2200 this year. And then next year we get over 2500. Those are my targets. Um, I don't know if silver will get to 50 this year. I'm hoping it does. If it doesn't get to 50 this year, I'm expecting it to get to 50 in the first quarter next year. So I'm really bullish on these price moves coming up because I think that the stars have kind of aligned for gold. It's almost like a perfect storm. You know, the Fed's the Fed's trapped. And one thing you know I haven't talked about is the backdrop of what makes gold so interesting as an investor. And that backdrop has been is basically if you go back to Reagan in 85, I'll do this fast. If you go back to Reagan in, in the early 80s, he basically started doing deficits of 200 to 300 billion dollars and he kept them going after the economy came back. So the economy came back in 82, 83. He kept the deficits going all the way through 80, 88. And then that never stopped. So we started doing this, this basically stimulus plan. Mm-hmm. The, and then it, it, it increased. So it, it, I said I was going to do it fast, but it's not easy. So then we got into the 90s. And then Japan, the U.S. was doing good economically. So we didn't have to stimulate. Now, that was the 90s is when technology, we had the technology boom. That's you know, the Microsofts, the Oracles. You know, that's when all that all kicked in, the technology boom in the 90s, right? So we didn't have to stimulate that much. But, but over in Japan, they were stimulating like crazy. That's when M&T kicked in. So then in 2001, when 9-11 hit, the U.S. was looking over what Japan was doing, going, geez, these guys, they're, what are they doing over there? They created a whole new economic system called MMT, Modern Monetary Theory. 
We didn't. We we thought that basically it was kind of voodoo economics. But then two thousand, then nine eleven hit. We didn't have any choice. So we basically, you know, cut just Japan like Japan. Cut interest rates to zero and then stimulate. And that is that's what MMT is. Then two thousand and eight, you know. MMT kind of got into our blood, you know, from 2008 forward, it's all been basically the free market has been damaged to such an extent because of artificial low interest rates. Because if you have artificial low interest rates, how do you know what kind of what the hurdle rate is for the for the company? So we, if you don't really have that, then you kind of have a, you know, if you have free money, you know, how is this company, how is it, you know, really existing? And then, you, you, everything just starts really breaking, right? And that's why we have this huge explosion in derivatives because nothing makes sense. So we got to cover myself. So it's, it just gets fake and fake and fake. So the Fed has adopted MMT. And that's one of the reasons why they're going to go to QT. They're going to go to QT to try to slow down inflation because they know they can't raise rates. And they can't do a Paul Volcker and raise rates 18%. Like if, if the 10-year goes to 4%, our interest on our debt goes to $1 trillion. <laughs> One trillion. That's impossible, right? So the, the 10-year rate can't go to 4 They know it. They can't. So they don't want, if short-term, and they can't, they're going to have a hard time controlling the 10-year. The, the Japanese use yield curve control they are to, to this day. You know, they had, their, rate was, their 10-year rate was zero um, a couple months ago. Now it's at 2.25. They've been trying to peg it at zero. Now they're pegging it at 0.25 because they couldn't peg it at zero. Um, and so the Fed might try to do YCC. They're turning Japanese too. Um, but it all comes back to me, to basically a broken free market. You have a broken free market and, and you have runaway debt and they're trying to use MMT and you have inflation, which I don't think is going away anytime soon. It all points to this unbelievable, these unbelievable fundamentals for gold. And we haven't even talked about what Putin's doing with the, with, you know, with, with the, the ruble and, and his gas and oil and all that. I mean, it just, it just compounded on top of everything else. I mean, we are, the fake economy was already in place. You know, the Potemkin, you know, it's basically a Potemkin. It's fake, right? Potemkin economy. I've used that term quite a bit. And the Ukraine is the black swan. It, it, poked, it, it basically is the pin that, that pokes the everything bubble. But the one thing that's going to prevent a crash is technology and MMT because they're just going to print like crazy. So you, we're going to have high inflation for the next three years. I have no doubt. They said they're going to take it back to 2%. Not, it's not going to happen. I, I don't care. You know, People say that the debt's deflationary. Um, sorry, not happening. We're having inflation for the next three years is the way I see it. Right. Um, you kind of already pre-answered my next point, which was going to be that I do follow you on Twitter and you recently compared the U.S. economy to a dog trying to not so successfully tightrope walk. <laughs> um, but I would love to know if there's any more points there for you um, or anything else you wanted to touch on. Um, yeah, that was that was a really good video of that dog. <laughs> 
they basically taught a dog how to do a tightrope. It was pretty funny. Um, you know, um, but yeah, so I think that is exactly what's happening with, with Fed right now is they're doing a tightrope. Um, you know, they're trying to get inflation down, but how do they do that and not create a recession? I think it's impossible. I think it's pretty obvious that it's impossible. So I think that this summer, I, I, I'm waiting for June, you know, a couple more months here. I'm wanting to see exactly because by June, I think that everybody has to go back to work. There's a lot of people right now in COVID that haven't went back to work yet. I don't think we really have an understanding of the, the damage done to the economy yet. Um, June, July, maybe not have to go all the way to August. I think we're going to have an understanding that damage has been done, that we're not basically going back to normal. We have to look around and see exactly where we're at. And I really feel that the global dominance of the United States is basically on its last legs. And that that dominance has basically been done through the military and through the dollar reserve, the petrodollar. Those have been, that's been the foundation of the U.S.'s plus we're the number one economy. But if you compare our economy to Europe, Europe's economy is actually bigger, the whole thing. And then if you compare our economy to Asia, there's bigger. You know, we have, yeah, you have North America, you combine Mexico, Canada, and the United States, compare them, that combines bigger than Europe. But Europe is still, you know, very large. But then if you look at Asia's economy combined, if you combine India, China, South Korea, Japan, they're much bigger than we are. And I think that the global economic dominance is shifting to Asia. And I think it's going to it's going to show itself this year. And I think this is a big like called, you know, Ukraine, the Ukraine, uh, the black swan event. And I, I think that our global dominance um, is really going to show itself. I think a lot of money is going to flow out of the dollar once we hit a recession and people look at our fundamentals, if you look at our fundamentals, um, an economy that basically can't grow any, anymore because of demographics. So all the, the baby boomers are retiring 100,000 plus a month. And that's been happening now for like a few years. So you have this ugly demographics. The millennials basically can't, you know, get get on their feet. They can't buy houses. Houses usually is a big driver for the economy, but you have fewer millennials buying houses that hurts the overall economy. The demographics are ugly for the United States for this decade. That's not going to help us. Plus, our debt situation is really, really ugly. Um, how in the world do we pay all these pensions that are coming up? Um, that's that's a problem. Um, just huge debt problems in the United States. So i I saw this coming. That's why I went to gold um, because, you know, it's I call it a sound economy. I don't think the U.S. economy is sound. We don't generate enough wealth to pay our debts. That's not a good scenario. We've been able to get away with it from using the reserve dollar and our military. And I think both of those are going to begin retrenching. So we'll see what happens. So that's, that's the answer for you. Great. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Don. This has been amazing. All right. Thank you, Montana. If you enjoy my content, do me a favor. Follow or subscribe to this podcast. 
Drop me a rating and a review and share this with a friend. All of these things allow me to get bigger and better guests on the show. Now you can catch me all over social media at jmartinbc. Thanks for tuning in.